Warning, this podcast will challenge your thinking. Welcome to Business Problems Solved. In this podcast, we help you solve your business problems by providing real examples and practical approaches to make today better than yesterday. Introducing your host, the multi-sector, self-professed, most improved improvement person and qualified business problem solver, Lee Horton. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved. Welcome to the second mini-series. Following the success of the Confident Women Leaders series, I've decided again to do another mini-series, and this one is not just an international author series. The first person that I'm speaking to is a gentleman called Adam Lawrence, and as you will see, he is more than just an author. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved. Today, I am graced with the pleasure of chatting with Adam Lawrence. Adam is the author of Wheel of Sustainability. He's also the managing partner of Process Improvement Partners. How are you, Adam? Well, great, Lee. Thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it. No, honestly, the pleasure is all mine. But for those people who don't know who Adam Lawrence is, who is he? And how has he got to sit in that seat today? All right. Well, thanks for that introduction, Lee. Uh, my name is Adam Lawrence, as you said, Managing Partner of Process Improvement Partners. Uh, I'm an industrial engineer by trade. Went to a school in Southern Virginia, Virginia Tech, go Hokies. Uh, graduated and went straight to work as an industrial engineer for a furniture company in North Carolina. Uh, for the next 30 years, I honed my craft, uh, working with teams, solving problems, learning about continuous improvement and lean and um, moved all around the country, did work all around the world with different folks, had some operations experience. And then two and a half years ago, I went out on my own as a, as a consultant, uh, helping teams, you know, learning how to help them solve some complex business problems and sustain the solutions that they were uh, creating. Gotcha. Perfect. Perfect. So, I guess the first question that pops into my mind, Adam, is yeah. how did you go from setting up a business to writing a book? Well, that's a, that's a great question. So my business model is to be on site with uh, teams, helping them solve their problems. And I'm in Gemba all the time. And as the world knows, we locked down. Uh, the last time I was with the team on site was in March of last year, and then someone who just needs to do something of value and be busy and stay out of my wife's hair. Yeah. Um, one morning, I realized that I had a story to tell. Uh, so I came downstairs to my little home office, cranked up some loud headbanging music and started typing. And I was wondering if I had anything of value to share. I knew that there was uh, something that had been bothering me for many years that I'd worked on so diligently, which was around sustaining uh, the hard won solutions of teams. And I thought, well, I've been teaching this to the teams I work with. I wonder if I could do it in such a way that somebody who didn't work with me might get some value from it. So that's how it started. Um, and it, it kept me quite busy because I you said author, but I'm not really sure that's what I am. I am somebody that typed a lot of words and had a lot of help yeah. to say, well, turn that into something coherent and um, told a lot of stories in the book. And in the end, it all came together to a point where I said, okay, that's enough of that. Let's send that to 
let somebody else decide if it's worth their time. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So you spoke, you've used the word um, sustainability a few times so far, and your book is called The Wheel of Sustainability. Why is that important to you? What, what is it about that that's important? Well, another great question, of course. So in 1991, I picked up my first lean book. It was a Shingo Smed book. And I opened it up and I said, oh my God, I can't believe there are so many great ideas in here. I need to use them. And I immediately used it in the factory I was working in. I was a supervisor in a ceiling grid factory and we had a terrible scrap rate. And over the years, we started solving problems in this way and people got really excited about it. But one thing that happened that bothered me more than the problem we were trying to solve was that once it was solved, it didn't stay solved. So, you know, this is not unusual. This is pretty common. So I said, okay, that's not okay. We put so much effort and creativity and energy into this. I got to come up with something. There's got to be a better way. So over many, many years and making hundreds of mistakes, thousands of mistakes, millions of mistakes all over the world, um, kind of created an image and a model of a way to sustain those solutions. And in 2014, I went to a conference, a Shingo conference in Ohio, and I was kind of talking about it with these other practitioners, and they were really interested, and I drew a picture, <laughs> and it didn't look like a wheel at the time. It looked like a molecule. It had eight bubbles surrounding a central bubble, and each bubble was a component or an element of this how-to-sustain solution, and I noticed the two of them at the table were drawing the bubbles. <laughs> on their napkins. I said, oh, I have something here, you know, something of value, something that others can use. So I started to refine that. And a few years ago, I don't remember how many, maybe six years ago, I, I turned it into a wheel. It seemed to be a little more visual and, and connected with people better. And they, the image seemed to make sense to them. Yeah. Um, and what I noticed was, as I, I started to implement that with teams, those problems we were solving stayed solved. So there was something to it and I would come back. So I used to do some traveling in a corporate role, right? And we always get made fun of for being corporate seagulls, right? I know that term <laughs> or other terms, similar ones. I'm from the corporate, I'm here to help. Yeah. But we come back six months later working on something else and invariably a team member from a prior team would want to show me how their, their solution is still solved and it's even better than it was when we left it. And every so often I would see this picture of a wheel on somebody's cubicle or office wall. So I realized there's something there and I'm able to describe it and create the image of it and help people understand the commitment of leadership to it um, when I'm with them. That, so the next challenge of course was how would I share that with somebody that hadn't worked with me? And yep. that's again, how the book came to be. Perfect. So I think the, the question, um, that I'm sure is on every listener's lips at the minute is what are the secrets? What, what was in them bubbles or what's in the spokes of the wheel? Right. Right. So I don't know that there's any magic bullet or secret to any of this. And I will tell you, if you know me, which you and I don't know each other real well, but we've chatted a few times. What I realize is there's nothing really new here. Um, all we have is a way to help people think about something that they're trying to do. So the wheel was that image. So there are eight spokes to the wheel. And I, I start at 12 o'clock 
with a thing called notification. So it's, it's about us speaking to people about what we've done and why it's critical, why it's important. So the why versus the what, but how we describe the change or the new standard to them. The second spoke then is training and review. So you and I may have a conversation about this change. Now I wanna show you, I wanna describe it to you. I want to do what I call tell, show, do. In the more extreme or in the more disciplined version that would be training within industry, but you and I are gonna one-on-one, I'm gonna tell you about the change. I'm going to demonstrate it to you, give you the chance to ask me questions about it. Then I'm gonna have you demonstrate your understanding to me. And if we can do that, if we can engage that way, there's a good chance that you're gonna understand the right way and maybe I can drive that you know, proper way into the way you behave, right? At least I'll know. The next spoke is what I call visible evidence. So the idea that I can be 20 feet away and know if everything's okay or not okay. So you know, in an auto plant, that might be the andon light, but it could be large check boxes or status indicators or red versus green or whatever. But what I wanna do is I want everybody to know things are okay or they're not okay. And if they're not okay, I should be helping. And if they are okay, I should be congratulating. So we should always be reinforcing what's right to do. The next one, the next spoke, fourth spoke is all tools available, meaning that I have everything I need to do the work that I'm going to do. And it's safe and it's productive and it's easy and it's stress-free. And it can be a physical tool, it can be a, a virtual tool. But let's talk in the physical world. If I have three locations that need a big pry bar, that's, you shouldn't adjust for yeah. the pry bar. That happened last week, it was, so that's in the top of my <laughs> mind. But anyway, if three locations need a pry bar, what I don't want you to have to do is carry that pry bar to the three locations. What I do want you to do is go to that location. The pry bar that you need is sitting there right there when you need it. So that's all tools available. So we don't skimp. We keep people safe. They don't have to carry their tools. They don't have to lose their tools. These are the critical tools that they need. The fifth spoke was the one last week and many times my team seemed to like to avoid and it's called clear benefits. And what that means is we're gonna make a change. And before we've made the change, we're gonna have conversations with people that weren't on the team, people that weren't involved in the original thought process. And we're gonna get their unfiltered feedback from them. They're not gonna like it, right? It's not unusual to come to be yelled at, been yelled at many times. What were you thinking? They don't usually say it that nicely, right? So the idea is the team goes out they're thinking about making a change. They're gonna have this conversation before the idea is fully formed. So they're gonna hear what their customer is gonna think about it. Not only that, they might, if they do it well, when they do it well, they may get some ideas. So this happened last week with the team that I was working with. And, and the first indication was everybody hated it. Why would you do this to us? But then they had the conversation trying to explain the why. And when they did, people started to say, well, you know what, that actually makes sense. And have you thought about this? Because that's what you really want. What you want to do is you want to grow that buy-in, grow that, grow those ideas, right? Because ideas build on each other. So that was really cool to see. And again, hard for the team members. They don't like that because they want it to be perfect before they drop it in. But if you, if you wait too long, it's too late, right? Yeah. So the next spoke, the sixth spoke is layered audits. So the idea now is that it isn't just up to the person responsible for the work to audit their work, but as we go levels up, 
we're going we're gonna to make sure people understand and engage in viewing how the work is being done, that it's being done well, being done right. And if it's not right, step in and help. Reinforce the proper behavior. Make it impossible to do the wrong thing. Get leadership engaged in this so that everybody understands what it is and why it is. The next one kind of goes with it. It's called accountability. And we all use the word, right? But so the way I like to give the image of that, if somebody was about to put their hand on a hot stove, if your small child was about to do that, you'd jump up from your seat, you'd probably yell at them, you'd pull their hand back. You would take personal responsibility and accountability to keep them from harm. It's the same idea, the same image. Leaders should be saying if somebody's not following the standard, if somebody's doing it incorrectly, they need to step in and stop that behavior, help them understand the right behavior, take it upon themselves. So it takes a village to do this well, to do this right. The last one is the one I use a lot. It's, I call it recognition, it's stories. We're telling stories. Stories have you know, helped us hand down histories for years, decades, thousands of years, millennia, whatever you believe, it doesn't really matter. But when something good happens and we tell a story about it, others start to feel the value of it. And they start to say, ooh, I want some of that. And the ultimate win for a team is when somebody tells the story of a success that wasn't on the team, wasn't even there. And they're telling it like they were there. So when you get that recognition, it really drives the organization's commitment to the work. So those are the eight spokes. In the center is the, is the hub and that's leadership commitment. So before I even engage with a client, before I, we even sign a document that says we're going to do this work, we talk to the leadership about their commitment to all of this. Are they committed to allowing the team to make decisions and make, create solutions that they hadn't thought of? Are they willing? Will they audit? Will they be accountable? Will they say yes when the team says, well, we need three pry bars? Can you buy us all three? And to say, well, if you say, well, do you, could you do it with two? That's not leadership commitment. Three is, of course, we'll buy you three. Do you need any? What else do you need? What else do you need? Because the team's already decided. They're not going to buy million-dollar equipment. Can't do that in the type of work that I do. You might go to the, the grocery store or the hardware store or whatever or the stationary store, but you're not going to buy anything that's going to be expensive. You're going to buy what you need. Yeah to immediately help teams. So that commitment has to be understood from before we even bring a team together. What does it look like to be committed to it? So the overall image of a wheel would say that any spoke could be removed and the wheel gets weaker. If you remove the central hub of leadership commitment, it all falls apart. So that's the most critical. Now I saved it for last. People wonder, I, even in the book, I saved it for last. Why would you do that? Well, because I wrote the book, but that's not really the reason. In my view, if you don't understand the image, how do you know what you're committing to? So I tried to give a little preview to the commitment because I keep talking about it, but I tried to wrap everything up with how critical that leadership commitment. And there's numerous ways to test for that, to strengthen that, to role model that. And so I've spent the last, I would say, just about a decade really trying to help leaders understand what does that take to help the team win and then sustain the win. Yeah, I love that. No, so thank you for um, thank you thank you for going through each of those spokes and, and the, the hope part in the center because so you you've brought it to life for me. I've got 
a number of questions that follow. The first one is really around the hub part of it. And you said for the last decade, you've been trying to um, get leaders to commit and understand and, and deliver. And how easy is that? How, how easy is it to, um, because I think it, it, every, everybody always says that, oh, you need to get leadership buy-in and leaders need to do it. And, um, but, but leaders, they don't always. So how, right. how do you tackle this challenge? Right. So the answer is it's not easy. Okay. So yeah. let's just put that aside. It's not easy, but I do have a process for it. So the, the process I use um, is, is a few steps. Everybody's got a process, right? The first is we're going to have a conversation, right? So we're yeah. having a conversation right here. Somebody wants to solve a problem, right? It's a pretty critical business problem. So I don't usually get called for something really simple. One day I'd like it just a simple problem. That'd be nice. Just plug the thing into the wall. Okay. So we're having the conversation. So I'm already trying to engage with the leader or the sponsor to say, do they really care to engage their people? Is there a chance for them to sustain? Great. If we get past that conversation, and I'm going to talk about the wheel, maybe in this overview version, just so they know, I'd like people to know who I am the moment we're talking. So what you're seeing here today is what they're going to see. Um, we joke 30% Adam, 50% Adam, and 100%. Most people can't handle 100%. Okay, so I say no caffeine and no sugar. This is just the way I am. So most people seeing me in a Kaizen event are just shocked by that. Okay, if we get past that, what we're going to do now is I'm going to visit. We're going to visit Gemba. I'm going to meet leaders, and I'm going to see how they engage with their people. So we've, we've not signed anything. We've not signed anything. What we're doing is I'm, they're test driving me, I'm test driving them. I need to make sure their teams have a winning opportunity, a, win, a chance for a winning experience. So it's usually about a six hour process. So I'll be spending time getting to know them. Then we're gonna go take a walk. We're gonna talk about their issues first. Then we're gonna go see them. I'm gonna watch how they engage with their people. And then we're gonna come back and we're gonna review usually over lunch. Lunch is good. People start to get a little more relaxed at lunch. And I, I, I work for food. That's my, my little tagline. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about what we saw. And I'm going to start to share some of my thoughts about how I might be able to help them. And then we're going to, again, we're going to talk about that wheel. Now, if they show interest, the next step is to charter. So chartering is critical for me. This is the thing. This is kind of the contract that says, how can we assure that we have a winning experience? Okay, so the first part of the charter, nothing's new here, I promise you, but it's, it's, it's a good, clear problem statement. So this is a test of leadership commitment at this point. Can we define what is truly the value to the business, to its customers, to its people around the safety, the productivity, delivery, quality, whatever it is, in a way that makes sense. Now I've written hundreds of charters for decades, right? So what I've learned is don't let them start to write it. They, they don't know how to do that, right? So stop that. Let me be the person that, okay, here's what I heard. Here's what I saw, you know, your OEE operational, you know, effectiveness, you know, is, is low. Every point of OEE, is worth something what's it worth your safety seems to be at issue what's you know what are you trying to accomplish so what is that what is that problem statement okay from that problem statement 
and what's the scope of it? You know, if you think in a Kaizen way, I, I typically think in a Kaizen way, but it could be a project. It could be just a discussion. It can be anything, but they like me to do facilitate Kaizen events. Okay, that's fine. So then, okay, at the end, if we solve the problem, what would it look like? What would tell us we have won? What would tell the team they have won? So what are those clear objectives? So let's list them out. So we want to raise, we want to reduce scrap by 50%. We want to reduce time for changeover by 50%. We want to reduce injury potential by 20%. We want to, can we name what that is? What would the team be able to say they did and measure it to know whether they've won? Okay, that's fine. So that's the second, that's the objectives, pretty simple stuff. But again, it needs to be clear, you know, and we're just doing our best. It's not perfect. It doesn't really matter. So knowing those, the problem and the objectives, then what's the team, what's the, what's the team that's going to help you win? Okay, who, sh who should be on this team? So typically people that are in the process, people that are feeling the pain of the problem every single day, every single minute of every single day. Sometimes somebody, you know, a customer of the process, that would be good. A supplier of the process, that would be good. You don't always get an external customer. Most of the time I don't. I recommend it. And then I watch their eyebrows go really high yeah. and they're like, yeah, yeah, we can't do that. Yeah. Like you could do that. You just don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, somebody who manages the process and that's the third step. So what's the winning team, right? So I'm watching them because I don't know if we can give up Joe or Mary or Sally for the period of time. They have all these meetings. So that's a question, right? If they can't commit 100%, you know, if this is really important, right? Is there anything more important than people's safety? Is there anything more important than better delivery to your customer or reducing cost or whatever the issue is that they're dealing with? And then the last question, the fourth question is, who at the end of this owns the output? Who's the one that's going to have to live with this every single day and make sure everybody, you know, with the wheel of sustainability, but make sure that this gets implemented. And we always try to implement during the Kaizen, but there's always certain things that aren't going to get implemented. For example, notifying the entire organization or changing, you know, their change logs, or, you know, we've trained 17% of the organization. We've got to do the other 83%. Who's going to be responsible? Well, that person is the team leader. Okay, so I've done those four, four things. And we do it in a very quick way, believe it or not. I'm, I'm a bit verbose, you probably figured that out. But I'm on a flip chart and I'm writing. And usually in about 30 to 45 minutes, we have a pretty solid charter. Yeah. So the question is, can they commit to that? Now, one thing I'm able to do, just like many continuous improvement practitioners, I already have an image in my head of, I don't know which tools for sure, but I can kind of picture how we're gonna go from starting at zero to a solution. And I can also picture in my head, I think we need three days, I think we need four days, I think we need four and a half days, I think we need 32 minutes, whatever the answer is. Yeah. Okay, so I'll propose that as well. Now that's a big test because most leaders who aren't familiar with the commitment of this will say, okay, Adam, I know you said we need three days, but can you do it in two? Right, that's a typical question. So when you said, how easy is it, right? Yeah. So I have to help them understand that three, there's a reason for three. You know, if you want to implement solution and not have homework, because I hate homework, implement, test, fix, improve, implement, test, fix, improve, as many cycles as I can possibly squeeze in. Well, you can't do that in two. 
if I, if the image is three, you know, yeah. and, and I always, my, you know, the negotiated piece is look, if we finish early, <laughs> we'll let them off early, but you know, we run out of time before we run out of improvements. It's just not going to happen. So it's a big test, right? Because most people don't want to commit. That's a huge investment. They invest more in their people than they do in Adam, the consultant, right? Their people are taken off their line and those people need to be 100% committed. They can't go away for two hours for a meeting. Yeah. And that's hard, right? So the final test is, are they willing? You know, and they don't have to decide that at that point, right? Because what they're really waiting for is, well, how much is this gonna cost me? <laughs> and I, I learned a long time ago, don't say the price until you think through all that you're going to have to do to help the team win. So I always say, I'll give you that in 24 hours. I think that's reasonable. So now let's decide, right? So if I have warning signs during the visit, and sometimes I've had warning signs, I go, hmm, probably not. Like I've had people say, well, I've never seen this done in three days. That seems impossible. Okay, well, if, they, if they've never seen it, they've never seen implemented Kaizen solution, you know, some people are even better at it, right? They're implementing four hours later, they're moving equipment or they're changing standard work or whatever. Maybe I'm not that good. Usually we're making improvements by the afternoon of the first day. So that's not bad because I have teams usually that are very unfamiliar with these. They'd like to bring me into new folks. <laughs> yeah. So it's hard to, you can't just say, go fix stuff. That's not a good idea. You have to give them new ways of thinking. Right. So early on, if I'm getting those warning signals and then if it's like, well, we can give you two days, you need three. Yeah. So that's where you have to decide. And I've decided because I've done this long enough that if you're unwilling to commit, that says a lot about what's going to happen after it's over. And Completely. so we should part ways because I don't want you to have a bad experience. And I, I know what it'll do to me. I'll be so stressed out, worried about the experience of the people and the leadership that I don't want to diminish that opportunity for them. Um, so that's, so when you say, how easy is it? So it's gotten easier. Uh, during a pandemic, it wasn't easy to walk away from revenue generation, but yeah. I, I actually did do that because again, I, I, it's not worth what it's going to do to the people. It's going to give them such a bad experience that they'll never want to do it again, whether with me or without me. I'm there to help them grow their organizational view and value for continuous improvement and engaging other people. Completely. So how many people have you all? So if, if, if you had 10, 10 bits of work, the way that you've just articulated it with those four steps and you, you spend the time creating the charter um, and start asking those questions to understand the level of commitment. So say if you had 10 of those based on your, um, your, your history and experience, how many would you walk away from? How many are not committed? Wow, that's a good question. No one's ever asked me that one. Thank yeah, you. so sometimes it's mutual, yeah. right? Yeah. So if they don't believe it's possible, guess what? They're not interested. You can put invoices, you know, you can put. So I would say um, in my first year, I only walked away from one uh, because actually my first client, I had business very quickly because they knew me from my prior work. Yeah. Um, so there was very little of it. I would say last year, probably 50%, 50%. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and 
that doesn't surprise me because I think because I think because what you what you've articulated there in your process is that you are challenging their thinking and right. and and letting them understand what is about to happen. Right. So they need to know the journey that they're about to go on. So it, it's no wonder actually. Um, I, in fact, I've done a I've done a survey recently of of the things that leaders worry about, and one of them is not enough. They've not got enough time. So if you're then right. saying that. Yeah. Uh, that, oh, to get better, you need to spend more time and they're thinking, oh, I've not got enough time. <laughs> right. and, and that's right. their objection. You've either got to come up with a way to show how it's going to save them time, but for a short-term pain, yeah. or yeah. just go, mm. Well, one way to do that certainly is in the problem statement. You know, if you're able to create a financial value, okay? So there was one that I did for, uh, you know, a company where, um, 1% of productivity was worth, let's just say a huge amount of money. Yeah. And we identified that number and we were shooting for 5%. So this reminds me of what the plant manager said to me at the time. I said, not only do you need these people from your factory, but you've got, I've got a couple, what I call Kaizen rock stars. So people that just give of them, give of themselves. Okay. Yeah that they will just do whatever it takes to help the team win within the same company, which is good. And I said, you need to invite them. And he looked at me and he said, Adam, I don't know that I can get them. And I looked at him straight back in the eye and I said, is there anything more important in your company that can deliver this kind of value in this short period of time? And he said, when you put it like that, I can't see it. And he got them. He actually got them plus. Yeah. <laughs> so so it gave him a way, it gave him a way to level set people and himself, yeah. clearly. And what was cool was, you know, that one did so well. You know, they're they're, I don't know if they're setting records. They were they were doing really well. I, I was getting some kind of, re, they don't report to me, obviously, but sometimes I'll get little messages. Hey, we just set another production record and we just had a better changeover. Or we just, they'll send me a board with lots of green numbers where they used to be all red, you know, yeah. and that's, that's fan. It makes me feel so good, you know, because they don't owe me any of that, but they're just so proud of it that, you know, they, they will send that. So yeah, and again, and if you're and clear, what they're also sorry, Adam, what they're also doing there is they're using um, the the final spoke of your wheel, there, aren't they? Right. They're telling the stories. They're telling the story, they, yeah. And they know how much I appreciate because you know I go home, and you know I see their factory or their business in my rearview mirror, and I don't know that I'll ever see them again. So I I wonder how they're doing. And if for those that have done Kaizen events, I mean, you get really close with your team, I call them my extended family because you really get to learn about each other and who people that have never had the opportunity to, to participate in such a way, boy, they just, they shine. There are people that just shine. Again, last week was when I had done with a team, it was actually their second Kaizen week. I don't usually get that luxury. Um, And just the growth and the way they worked together and the way they engaged and the way they were so creative and you just, and then you go home and you just say, I wonder how they're doing. I mean, I still do that with teams that I worked with 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. completely. So a question I've got for you then. Um, yeah. In fact, I've got a number of questions still. Um, first question is your wheel and your, your, your hub. Um, 
is there a typical place in an organization you would ideally start? Because is it like a department or a function or a particular silo or is it organizational? Right. So, you know, in the ideal sense, you'd start at the top, right? Okay. Yeah. I don't get that opportunity. It, somebody will call me in at whatever level they're at. So let's say business owner, plant manager, director of continuous improvement, what, whatever that level is. So basically when we're having that conversation, I need them to understand it and say, <clears throat> this is how it would apply. Um, now, it's interesting that you asked that question. So I have one client that I've been to nine of their many locations, not all of their locations. I guess that's a goal, right? To see all of them because it's pretty cool stuff. And a few weeks ago, somebody sent me a text to say, hey, we used your seven minute video on the wheel as part of our training process. I said, well, that's really kind of cool. I yep. said, I hope that was, I said, was that helpful or did they need a nap? What was it? <laughs> and he, he said, no, no, people were actually taking notes. And I'm like, wow, that just, that's kind of mind blowing. And I didn't say that to you. One of the things that I do, so we get, we get a lot of grief for having too many PowerPoint slides, right? Yeah. I mean, no matter what I do. So, but I always print out the charter. I always print out the agenda so they can hold themselves and me accountable to that. And I always print out a, a, a slide of the wheel. And a number of years ago, I started watching people would write notes on that, which I found kind of surprising or shocking. Hey, there must be something to this, just like the guy drawing it on the napkin. So I, I still do that to this day. Well, this client, again, like I said, multiple locations are using it as part of this is part of what they do. And that's gratifying. Now, does the CEO know that that even exists? You know, I don't know. He and I have not had that conversation, but, but to the levels that, that I have worked with. So, you know, in the best lean cultures, right, it goes up and down and, you know, there's one best way of doing things. I, you know, I'd love to see that and that's ideal, but the reality is I, I work within whatever self-contained organization that I'm helping. Yeah, yeah, and then the, the, I guess my lead-on question then is because in an organisation there are multiple different departments. When you're right. when you're articulating your wheel, you 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 use um, very uh, engineering or manufacturing type examples because, and, and I imagine that's because you can you, you're physically touching things and it's a product and a process, so it's easier to see. Right. But do you envisage or do you use the wheel in non? Um, manufacturing or engineering, so maybe office-based, and, and yes. are you still seeing the same types of results? Right. So I just did, um, in July, I did a socially distanced, masked up uh, Kaizen for a nonprofit that I just gave that Kaizen to them. And we did it based on their donor engagement. So a, a virtual process, essentially. So, and we used the wheel yep. to lock in the changes that the team came up with. So we actually reduced donor engagement time. So the time that you made a large size donation to the time you received a signed thank you letter, shouldn't have taken very long, right? And they thought it took yep. two weeks. It took actually 58.4 days. Wow. <laughs> in the worst case, in the worst yep. case. And we yep. got that down to less than a week. So the customer would see that. And, you know, as you might expect, the team came up with some pretty cool solutions to that. And we use the wheel to lock in those solutions. So it's a it's not a manufacturing, it's not a, it's not a physical or something that you can see as obviously, but 
clearly critical to their customers. You know, if you give a lot of money to an organization, it's nice to hear thank you. Yeah. <laughs> like we're using it for something good. Uh, we've used the wheel and um, my wife and I joke that it's in our kitchen, right? Um, and, and she, there's a quote that I used in a different podcast about if I don't mess with her toolbox, she won't mess with mine. But <laughs> it's, it's funny how it gets you to think about how do you, how do you sustain anything that's most important to you? Um, so the book tries to talk through that, that I don't want people to think this is only a manufacturing oriented book or even a lean book. You know, a lot of principles of lean are in there, yeah. um, but it's all about helping people sustain whatever improvements they're trying to make of any kind or whatever's most important to them in a way that's useful and valuable. So there's some home examples, there's some virtual examples, there's some manufacturing, service, nonprofit, and then there's examples of what happens when things go wrong, right? Because yeah. I had an editor and she said, well, you keep telling your stories about teams that win. What happens when things don't go well? And I'm like, oh, there, I got lots of that. Yeah. <laughs> I said, do you think that would be interesting? Oh, people love that. Yeah. <laughs> really? Because every time I wrote that one, I was like, oh, that hurt. <laughs> but you know, it's, it usually turned out okay. I didn't get fired. So I guess that was good. Yeah, no, perfect. perfect. What's, the, what's the, I guess... A non best. What's the best non-work related example you've got of using the wheel of sustainment? Yeah. So personally, um, I found myself bringing tools up and down from my basement to my garage. You know, I'm, I had a, a lot of people have cluttered basements and garages, right? I mean, fine. Yeah. So what I realized was I was tired of doing that. So what if I don't do that? What would I do? So I've got a board. <laughs> I got a tool board on the back wall of my garage and it's got all my critical, here's the kind of stuff I would use in my garage tools and some gardening stuff. And then I organized and there's some visualization. So when I drive into my garage, I can easily audit, right? Yep. I know if anything's missing, anybody else can use it. My wife, my son, you know, they're able to do that. So that's pretty simple. My, another one is my wife made fun of me when I bought this labeler, you know, all those CI people, we got to have labelers. So she's like, why did you buy that? And then one day I said, I, I noticed she was using it. What are you doing? Well, she was organizing the pantry. Wow. Now think about, there's a reason why you should organize your pantry, right? Number one is you want to know where your stuff is. Number two is you don't want stuff to, to go bad. Right. So she started buying these plastic containers and she started labeling them. I mean, she didn't tell me she was labeling them, you know, cause she didn't want to admit, Hey, I'm yeah. using this thing he got that I made fun of him for, but this is what we do. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's more plastic being bought and there's also, and all of a sudden now she's doing an audit with some frequency and every three to six months, she does a, uh, a pantry clean out. Yeah. You know? And we don't have stuff that that's three years old anymore that should have been thrown out or should have been thrown out three years ago. So it just works. You know, is every spoke there? Well, she didn't really notify me. I'm, mean, you know, but you know, <laughs> we, <laughs> we joke about it. So I guess that counts. She didn't really train me. Although I, I will take that back. She has <laughs> retrained me a few times. Yeah. yeah. That's not the right spot. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But, and I never said no when she said I need another plastic container, right? Yeah. And I'm getting the clear benefit because I get really well fed, and I, and I don't get any food poisoning problems. There you go. Every, so everyone's a winner. Everyone's a, a winner. Yeah, yeah perfect. it's a good thing. So yeah, yeah 
I think so. Good. No, no, thank you. Thank you for that. And during your introduction, you said go Hawkeyes, did you? Is that what you said? Yeah, so that's Virginia Tech. So their their mascot is the Hokies. Okay. And most people don't know what that means. No, I've, I've not got a clue. So, and I'm sure somebody that isn't from the States, but even people from the States wouldn't know that. So as it turns out, it's just a rhyme. So somebody in 1896, I'm not making this up, um, made a, uh, like a cheer for the school. And so they created this thing that said, hokey, 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 hi. And that became, <laughs> so it, it makes no sense. Uh, we used to joke with freshmen as they came in, what it, that it had this really bizarre meeting. And if you want to know what that is, you can uh, direct message me. Um, <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, the, the actual, there's a, there's a mascot that's a turkey. So a fighting gobbler, but hokey is what the word is. So yeah, that's, so that's, that's just a shout out to my Virginia Tech friends. Yeah, love it, love it. So what's next for the Wheel of Sustainability and Adam Lawrence? Well, that's a great question. So the book just came out. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see if anybody besides my relatives buy it. So that'll be fun. <laughs> and then even more curious if somebody bought it and actually got some value out of it. So I had four beta readers, you know, I, I self-published. So, you know, I don't have the, uh, a company backing me. <laughs> so yeah. people read it. And one of the most gratifying things that one of the beta readers said, ah, Right in chapter three, I found something I can use right now. I wish I had known about it a while back. And he's a professor at the University of Virginia. So I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Um, so that that's the hope. Um, I do love doing the Kaizen events. I will tell you that um, as fun and energizing as they are, they're also as, as exhausting as you might imagine. Um, those that have done Kaizen events, right? My feet and my knees get a bit tired by the end of the week and mentally, you know, it's kind of exhausting because all you're doing is focusing on everybody else's experience. And then you forget that you forgot to take a break yeah. <laughs> or drink some water <laughs> or, or do whatever it is you're supposed to do. You know, I I'm happy to turn a wrench with the teams. You know, I am not one that just tells them to go do, I like to play with them in Gemba. I, I, my joke with them is there's, I'll do almost anything, but I will not weld and I will not drive your forklifts. Yeah. Everything else I will do. I have disassembled equipment, built equipment, you know, move things, built standard work, you know, because sometimes they really don't have an image for what that looks like. And sometimes they need an extra hand and I'm there. So why not help? Um, so what's next? What's next is just sharing the story, trying to help as many people as I can. Uh, having these conversations is fun. I love when people call and they want to know something or where'd that come from? Because it's just, I always learn something. I will tell you that I thought I knew the wheel of sustainability. After all, I kind of invented it. So I think when I was writing about it, I realized there's a lot more I need to learn about it. So the writing forces you to really reflect and ask yourself some pretty tough questions. And I'm hoping that the way that I wrote the book makes it easy for somebody to say, I think I can do that. And I think that's worth doing. Um, and I tried to even put sections in, well, how do you very specifically create this one element and then the next element and the next element. So I've got stories and I've got things to do and things not to do and don't make Adam's mistakes and that kind of stuff and how it applies to your home or your business or your manufacturing plant. 
Yeah, amazing, amazing. No, good stuff. No, thank you for that. And because you've spoken about your pantry already today, um, one question I, I often ask people is, what are they having for the tea? So what are you having for your evening meal tonight? What, what, what's that for you, Adam? What is my evening meal? Yeah. Well, my wife is probably going to offer three different things, and I'm not sure what they are. Oh, wow, it's like a restaurant. Well, no, she's just trying to decide what to make. So she's putting the burden on. So she might be thinking a steak or she might thinking some kind of chicken dish. And what, now I'm very fortunate. I have a wife who can cook, uh, which is really nice. I never realized how important that was. So um, for example, there was a chicken thing um, a couple of weeks ago. I was gone last week. So I'm looking forward to my first home cooked meal in a while. Um, but she said, I, I'm thinking of doing some chicken. What would you like, baked chicken? Or would you like a chicken soup? Or would you like, I'm thinking of making this. And I go, I like them all. <laughs> you know, there isn't much that she offers that I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. You know, maybe a side vegetable that I don't love. Yeah. But I don't have to eat that. Yeah, amazing. I don't tell my relatives that. But yeah. <laughs> so, so she'll, you know, because, you know, there's a rotation. Like, so there's like some go-to type recipes. So if she says the word... I'm going to say yes. And it's like, why would you even offer that if you don't want to make it? So yeah. So what's for dinner tonight? I'm not a hundred percent certain. We're not, we're not there yet. She's about to go to the grocery store and decide because she hadn't gone for a week. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. No, that's, that's really good. You get, a, you get a choice. This is, this is a whole new world for me. Yeah. Bizarre. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> You're such a lucky chap, Adam. Such a lucky well, chap. There's a positive to that. And there's a not so positive to that. The positive is, is you have a choice, but the not so positive is now you got to make a decision. And, you know, hope sometimes if I do say one of them, you can see like she's disappointed. Like I picked the one she yeah. <laughs> didn't want to make. Oh, it's a test. It's a so test. <laughs> we've been married 29 years. So every day, you know, there's, we have our little back and forths anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, we may, we have a lot of fun together. But sometimes I can just tell, I think I picked the wrong one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one's a little harder to make. Well, so I always say, well, that's great, but you probably shouldn't offer it but, yeah, <laughs> if you don't right. want me to pick it because I don't know any better. Yeah, completely, completely. And if people want to find out more about Adam Lawrence and the Wheel of Sustainability, where would they go? What would they do? How would they find it out? Okay, great. So I have two LinkedIn pages. So I have the Adam Lawrence page and I have process improvement partners page. So I, you know, I'd love to meet new people. You know, it's fun to connect with people and then actually have conversations with them, which is, which is a blast. If you go on my LinkedIn page, you'll see, you know, actually my cell number, my email. So I'm happy to do that as well. Um, I have a website, pi-partners.com. So it talks about the services that I offer in my approach and, you know, links to some podcasts. So once this one comes out, I'll put that up there because it's exciting to have people actually want to talk to me. So I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, clearly it'd be cool if somebody besides a relative bought my book and got some <laughs> use of it. So I'd love to hear from anybody that's willing to take that risk. There's a Kindle version and there's a physical version. Um, it was supposed to come out in a week and it's already out. So there you go. We got a little PDCA going. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's, so I adjusted. I just said, okay, sure. Two people, like I said, sent me pictures of them holding it in their hand. And I don't even have my copy yet. So I think that's kind of funny. 
Yeah. So <laughs> I hope it turned out. I hope there aren't upside down pages because I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll find you'll find out soon enough. No doubt. You find out right. soon enough. So and, is and it? I, oh, go sorry. Oh, you first. Well, I do have a YouTube channel, so I did do some of the stories as videos, but I, I think I have like 18 subscribers, so <laughs> not changing the world too much on that one, but that's, that's about it. No, perfect. No, thank, thank you for that. So the book you said is um, self-published and is yes. it um, Amazon? Is that who you're selling it through? Yeah, selling it directly. So they're the, they're the publisher, they're the printer. So in the world of continuous improvement, I said, what's the least amount of steps required, right? So let them do the work. I have no clue. I had some people explain and, you know, they're managing that process for me, but in the end through Amazon, absolutely. And uh, check it out. It's called the wheel of sustainability, uh, engaging and empowering teams to produce lasting results. And hopefully people get some value out of it. Amazing. Amazing. No, I just want to say, Adam, thank you so much for sharing so much today, uh, having an amazing conversation. I've looked uh, forward to this conversation since we first met a few weeks ago. So I just want to say thank you so much for that. Good luck with everything with the book um, and, and whatever you decide to have for your uh, evening meal tonight. I hope you make the right choice. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on, Lee. I really enjoyed it and I hope your listeners enjoyed it as well. Cheers, Adam. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to Business Problems Solved. You can contact Lee on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lee Horton, the Business Problem Solver, or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. And remember... Saying you know how to do it is not doing it.